I'd like to welcome um, Adam Kay, who's the VP of Sales over at Paddle, um, who's going to be sharing some in, insights with you today um, and walking his sort of opinions and, and um, equally what he's learned over his, his, his career within sales um, to hopefully help you elevate uh, your careers to, to, to the next level. So as most of you will know, um, our vision at Sales Confidence is, is, is to build the world's largest B2B sales community, elevate the sales professional and help sales professional at every stage of their career be the best that they can be. Um, and, and that's through achieving peak performance, mindset, awareness and, and, and positive well-being. Um, which, as you'll all know, we, we, we champion at Sales Confidence in a, in a huge way. Um, so uh, this podcast is aimed at, is, on, is to unlock the heart, mind and story behind founders, sales leaders like Adam um, and industry experts that can uh, elevate the sales profession and, and ultimately help you guys um, to elevate your own careers. So you, you'll all be very aware that James Ski is, is focused on bringing out the authentic story of, of people's journeys and, and uncovering the DNA to understand how it drives their decisions and, and thinking and dreaming to inspire. So without further ado, um, I'd like to welcome Adam, Adam, who's going to be our sales leader um, for this particular podcast. Um, so welcome, Adam. Really nice to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, look, initially, um, I, I, I guess um, we're going to be delving a little bit into into picking your brain, into uh, you know how how you've got to where you've got to, and 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 you know how you see the the, the landscape at the moment. But equally, you know, ha, ha, what advice you could give to to maybe more junior salespeople, or equally people that are, are in your position, um, to help them elevate themselves and, and grow and develop as people and professionals. Um, so, initially, Adam, I, I, I guess I'll open with, you know, what, what are you most excited about today? Um, you're here to share your expertise and experience, so sort of keen to hear what, what you're excited to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's probably quite an interesting question to ask, uh, bearing in mind we are now on the 19th of March and effectively everyone's working from home in a remote environment um, with a lot of uncertainty in the world. I think. You know, the, the theme that will probably prevail throughout this conversation today is is, is around perspective. And, and from my perspective, what I like to do is to kind of draw on the positives and what excites me. Um, so, you know, today, what am I excited about? Today, I'm excited about the fact that I'm working in a SaaS business. I'm excited I'm working in an industry where, again, touch wood, thankfully, we seem to be relatively insulated from a lot of the risk and panic that's going on in the world today. Um, but I'm working in a business that can move very, very quickly, that can be quite dynamic and fluid in our approach, our strategy, our tactics, be that um, an increased focus on the Chinese market, be that an ability to work from home and manage teams remotely. Um, you know, we are working from home. So it's actually quite exciting for me to also have that change of scenery. I've always been very kind of keen to be in the office every day. Um, whilst I've always enjoyed the idea of working from home, I've never actually kind of made the commitment to do it. And now I don't have a choice. Um, so I'm able to kind of really push on with some of the work that I've been always putting on the back burner, always waiting for that rainy day to do, um, investing in my manager's development, investing in my team's development, looking at the processes we have, which is never going to be the highest priority activity I've got to do, but I'm finding myself with a bit of time to do that now. Um, and I guess the last part, which is exciting me about today and, and this situation is is actually being able to assess my team and assess them in terms of whilst I'm not sat there with them, whilst managers are not sat there with the team, 
who are the ones who are the real go-getters, the real self-starters, the ones that I can't really keep an eye on um, and are really making making the best out of the situation. So I'm really excited to see what comes out of that. Wonderful. I think I think there's some really good points in there in terms of, um, I echo uh, the working from home sentiment. Um, not something that I've had a lot of experience with um, and, and I guess not something that I was particularly comfortable with. Um, but we've been forced into a situation where where a lot of salespeople are, are, are you know, they are working from home and, and, and that's a reality. And um, it sounds as if for, for, for your team at Paddle, it, it could be an opportunity to stand out and, and, and from the crowd and really um, shine a light on, on their skills, ability and, and their determinations. Is, is that the case at Paddle where, you know, you're looking at the team and, and maybe in a different light and, and some people have come through that, maybe weren't the superstars when you were in an office environment really showing their tenacity. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've, I've made it very clear to my team that I always have a bias for promotion over hiring from the outside. Um, I would love my future AE team to all be, uh, to be current BDRs. Um, and we're investing a lot in training development. We've hired a, a sales enablement sales coach dedicated to getting everyone up to that next level and upskilling people. Um, but at Paddle, we've all, always prided ourselves on, on our flexibility, on the trust we instill and the trust we have of our teams. We have a flexible working from home policy so people can work from home if they want to or need to. Um, people can work from wherever they want in our very large office. So there's a lot of trust. Um, but you know, I think there's a bit of a difference between taking a day a week working from home versus every single day for, hey, who knows how long this is going to last for. Um, I think we're probably still in the novelty stage of it in a week's time, in three weeks' time, in a month's time, and we're all still working from home. How are people going to be reacting to this? So it's a challenge, but yeah, like, like you said, also an opportunity, I think. Wonderful. I, I love that you're looking at it in a positive light. And um, uh, we've had some some uh, remote working, working from home at, at Sales Confidence, and that's exactly what we've been doing with, with, with maybe some more of the downtime that we've had. And that's investing in other areas of the business and, and, and making sure that, you know, when, when this does end um, and, and, you know, hopefully that's in the near future, uh, but we come out stronger and, and, and we look at it in a positive light and, and, and we do take the opportunities yeah. that are, are, are sort of presented to us. So um, I think that's a great insight and I think that's something that everybody that's currently in that situation can, can, can take away and um, utilise. Um, so getting into a little bit of, of, of your mindset, um, Adam, I mean, clearly, look, you've, um, you've, you've had a really successful career and, and, and you're, you're, you're now a sales leader at a, a very well-respected SaaS platform. Um, so trying to get a, a little bit into your mindset for our viewers and, and to understand what makes you tick and how you think, um, I'd like to ask, what, what's the first thing you think about when, when you wake up in the morning? How, how does your morning look and, and, and how, does that, you know, how does that impact the rest of your day? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's changed quite a lot over the years. I'm a, I'm a father of three young kids. So often the, uh, the alarm bell doesn't ring. It, it's a child um, pulling me out of bed. I don't actually remember the last time my alarm woke me up. Um, so it's, it's generally not a pleasant first thought of, why can't they sleep a bit longer? But once, once I'm past that pain, um, the first thing I actually am doing nowadays um, is actually looking at my WeChat. We're doing a lot of business at the moment in China. Um, and often there are conversations that have happened throughout the night that I just want to make sure I'm aware of, make sure there are no emergencies um, or maybe some good news, contract signs, for example. Um, but actually something I've been working on is to then detach myself from, from working thoughts and to actually kind of use that time in the morning to gather my thoughts, um, to really just kind of think about, there's that word again, perspective. Um, 
I know a lot of people are kind of meditating in the morning or praying, whatever it might be, but using that time to just focus on what is most important to them in their lives um, and so that they can go into their day with that perspective, with that direction, with that motivation. I think I have been in phases in my life where I've just been kind of glued to my phone, responding to emails and slacks and whatever it might be. And actually, you're never able to kind of get in front of it. You're always reactive. So one thing I'm very, very keen to do is to kind of stay in charge of my time, in charge of my priorities to the best I can do. Um, it's never, it's never going to always work out that way. Um, but I think carving out that time, even if it's just 10 minutes for yourself in the morning to kind of sit in a quiet place and just think, what am I doing? Where do I want to get to today? You know, how am I going to improve on yesterday? Um, it's become a really important part of my routine. I think that's great advice. And I, I, I've been hearing that across the industry from, from sales leaders more and more um, recently. Certainly something that I've been guilty of in terms of being glued to my phone um, from the moment I wake up until, and, until I go to sleep, essentially. And, and something I'm becoming more mindful of, um, probably through having conversations with people like, um, who, who have made that positive change and it's making a positive impact on, on not only their their professional life but equally their their, their personal life so um some, absolutely something that i'm working on um sometimes unsuccessfully um but uh it, it's, it's something yeah. i'm more mindful of um so brilliant um i mean uh as someone in your position and and obviously you've you've, you've been through a number of stages in your career to get to where you are um where do you get your motivation and inspiration um, every day? And uh, you, know, you know, has that has that changed throughout your career and, and, and uh, each stage of uh, of your professional career? Mm. Yeah, it's 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 tough, and you know, I wouldn't say motivation's a constant thing, um, especially in sales. Right? I think everyone who, who's worked in sales for any period of time knows there's highs and lows. We typically work in cyclical kind of seasons, be that months, quarters, or, or years. Um, and so, of course, you know, we, we have had a work to quarterly net targets when we haven't hit our target going into that last month of the quarter. That motivation, that drive, that excitement comes from something different than it does perhaps in the first month of the quarter. Um, so I think that's the first point to be aware of is, is kind of seasonality in our job does have an impact on our motivation. Um, and of course, there are people who go into that last month of the quarter and think, oh, I don't have enough pipeline to get to my quota. Um, and I see motivation drop off. So I think those are the kind of most important questions. How do you drive motivation in those perspective? Without wanting to sound like a cliche, a lot of this goes back to my, my daily routine, my, my morning routine, which is actually withdrawing from the chaos that is work life. Um, and again, taking a moment to think about what I'm appreciative of. Um, in, my, in my case, it's my family. Um, you know, I, I, I love my family, I love my wife, my kids. Um, but it's actually about why I'm doing what I'm doing. And yes, you know, when I'm looking for a role, I've got to be passionate about the leadership. I've got to be passionate about the, the industry and the product itself and the trajectory. But actually why I put myself through this day after day after day is really for the sake of my family. Um, and actually they are the ones that drive me either kind of actively or, or passively to, to push a little bit harder, to go a little bit further and to really you know, push myself. Um, and I think they've helped me set these goals that I, I have for myself. So I, I'm, a, I'm aware I'm a very ambitious person. I'm a very competitive person. Even if I'm competing with myself, um, I, I work very well to goals and target settings. So probably the reason I've, I've landed so well in sales. But I, I, I've set myself these kind of short, medium and long term goals. Um, and I want to beat them. Um, and I want to achieve these goals for the sake of my family, of course, financial success and that sense of achievement. But I think a lot of it is around that goal setting uh, and being able to benchmark your performance against those goals at any given time as well. 
Brilliant, brilliant. I, I love that you touched on um, sort of your fit at a company and, and being comfortable with the leadership and similar. I think, you know, traditionally, um, many people would have fallen into a sales role and, and, and that's the view. And I think that's changing um, massively. And, I, I, you know, I think the perception of sales and, and younger people wanting to get into sales, in, certainly in the UK, is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, I think it's been I think it's been a bigger thing in the US for a number of years and, and sort of um, a sales career has been very highly regarded. Um, and I think we're getting to that stage in the UK now. So uh, really interesting to hear you touch on sort of the right fit, the right company, the right culture, um, but equally the right leadership that's going to that's going to help you get to where you, you, you need to be. Um, and on yeah. that on that point, um, obviously, you're quite far into your sales career now. Um, you're up to VP. Um, and uh, I'm interested to hear what your very first experience of sales was. And uh, you know how did how, how did that look and how did it come about well i think there's an element of me that thinks perhaps i've always been selling um be that playing with my my siblings when i was younger how i kind of you know got out of trouble with my parents um growing up uh, but my first professional experience was um actually a mistake um not a mistake uh it wasn't planned um put it that way i started my career as a as a corporate lawyer um also kind of fell into that uh, university. They offered me a job. Everyone told me this is a great opportunity and I'd be, you know, stupid to turn it down. Um, still not knowing what I did. I went through two more years of law school, went through training, etc. only to realize I absolutely despised the job. Um, but still having no idea what I wanted, I actually was meant to be starting another role as an accountant, retraining as an accountant. I thought, hey, there's, there's a good idea. Didn't like law. Let's try something else. Um, so I, I tried accountancy. Well, I, was, I had a job uh, lined up for accountancy, but I thought without really knowing what I wanted to do, um, I knew that there was a skill called sales that regardless of what I ended up doing, I would need to be good at that. If I was selling a service, a, a product, if I was a consultant selling my own skills, I would, I would need to know how to sell. So I came across this, um, this graduate scheme for a company called Meltwater who I believe were one of the first SaaS companies uh, in the UK. This was back in uh, 2008. Um, and I think this was at the time where, you know, you had to explain to people what SaaS was, what it stood for, um, and why it was a much better solution than, than on-premise. Um, and I, I loved it. I mean, Meltwater was, it was, it was by luck, a very, very good fit for me. I'd had a very high work rate instilled in me for my time as a lawyer. Um, I'd spend my time prospecting outside of hours and trying to get hold of people uh, during hours. Um, it was also the type of company that gave you that kind of 360 end-to-end -end sales experience. So we didn't have BDRs, AEs, SEs, etc. I was responsible for prospecting, outreaching, um, creating the meetings, running demos, negotiating. I even did three months of account management before it was handed over to a, de a dedicated success team. So I really got this kind of full exposure to sales cycle. And I think I probably wasn't a better salesperson than anyone at the time, anyone else at the time. I just worked a lot harder. Um, as again, might sound pretty old fashioned, but you know, at five o'clock, I was very, very surprised coming from the background that I'd had in law that people would be closing their laptops and finishing for the day. Um, I thought, hey, this is the time where I can actually set up my next day. I can list all the people that I'm going to be calling so that I can do more volume. And perhaps I was just savvy enough to realize more volume equals more opportunity to create a meeting, opportunities and, and deals. Um, and that's how I fell into sales. So yeah, I was, I was really lucky, um, and it's you know good time as well to, to be doing it. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing, and, and really insightful, and and, and some um, some areas that, that mimic uh, my own career in there for sure. 
Um, and, and really interesting to hear that it is just just grit and hard work um, that were one of the main drivers for you. And I, I guess that leads me on to, to, to my next um, question. Um, what, 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 have you, what did you do um, that made you sort of successful at each stage of your career? And it'd be brilliant if you could sort of share some notable transitions that you've made um, throughout that to give us some context into, into what that step looked like. Yeah, I think I've always lived by a principle. Um, and I think this started at Meltwater of actually never wanting to be comfortable in my role, never feeling like I've mastered it. I think, you know, I, I've realized from my experience, when I get too comfortable, I get bored and, and to a certain extent disengaged. I like to feel out of my depth and I like to feel challenged. And I know some people find that very scary and daunting and, and they shy away from it. I embrace that. You know, my, my move to paddle, for instance, um, Paddle is in the the e-commerce and billing uh, industry, and I've never never had an experience in that. I don't know anything about it. Didn't know anything about it when I first came to interview, um, but that's what I was looking for—a new challenge. So, I think when I when I look back at my career, um, you know, it's always about pushing myself to get to that next level of discomfort, um, as it were. Be that into management, be that into sales leadership, be that into a new company, new industry. So, Meltwater is a great example. Um, the other, the, uh, I've spoken very highly of Meltwater. Um, I know it's also got some kind of downsides as well, but one of the other plus points about Meltwater is they didn't hire managers from the outside. So you had to go through kind of from the most junior level to management. Um, and thankfully, because of the success I achieved, my work rate, I was offered a, a management role pretty soon after joining. Um, but about a year later, I realized that Meltwater had this kind of global expansion um, agenda. And it was really... You know, I didn't really appreciate that for a SaaS business to expand globally, you need a phone and a laptop. Uh, and that's it, right? You, you don't need a big infrastructure. So I was very, very keen to have some international um, experience. I was young at the time still, I felt relatively footloose. So um, off the back of my success, I asked them and made a business case to send me out to Tel Aviv and Israel to, to launch their office out there. Um, and thankfully, it was it was successful. Um, they approved the request and I built up a team very, very quickly that was hitting targets. Um, so that was a big transition for me that I felt very uncomfortable about, never worked there in, in my life before, didn't know the language, the culture, but I just wanted a new challenge. Um, and then I guess that in, in terms of kind of other notable moves was probably the move that I made away from employment into my own into my own job, into my own startup. Um, I mistakenly thought, hey, I'm working really hard for somebody else here. I can do this better myself. Um, had an idea for a startup with one of my colleagues at the time. We 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 jumped ship and we went to raise some funding. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, spent about two years doing it, but I'd say that was probably the biggest learning experience of my life um, in terms of understanding my strengths, my weaknesses, self awareness, being in that uncomfortable environment. Um, and yeah, it was it was rather unfortunate it didn't work out. Um, but I'd say probably that was the biggest uh, and most notable move of my life. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Um, it's really interesting to hear your mindset um, on, on on that again. Um, you know, even even in the face of adversity, it's, it's it sounds as if you're front foot and, and positive um, and, and looking for the opportunity and everything. So, um, thank you for sharing. I think uh, again, leading on quite nicely, um, talking about your early early sales career. And for our listeners who are who are looking to accelerate, grow, and develop their their professional um, careers. Um, what what do you think of the sort of the, the attributes that you hire for? Um, and I, I know you've touched on a number of, of, of attributes that you had as a as a younger person that have allowed you to accelerate your career and, and, and elevate yourself to where you are today. 
What are you looking for? What attributes do you hire for with, with, with salespeople? Yeah, I think I think there are three criteria that I'm always looking for, and and, and I should say that it's very very difficult to identify these um, these skills, these traits. Um, I think the first one is, is self starter, um, especially kind of a, a startup environment where things are changing, where perhaps progression and, and planning for years ahead is a little bit murky. Um, somebody who recognizes that, hey, if I can really um, be successful here off my own back, if I can really help solve some of the problems they're trying to solve here with my logic, intelligence, hard work, um, then good things are going to happen to me. So um, I'm always looking for evidence of people who've really, on their own initiative, tried to solve problems and, and really be motiv self-motivated to do so. Um, the second one is about self-awareness. And I think for me, if, if I was asked what is the most important skill in a salesperson, it is self-awareness, I believe. What am I saying at any given time? How am I spending my time? How am I being perceived, et cetera? But self-awareness also means recognition of one's own uh, deficiencies and weaknesses um, and that eagerness to, to, to improve. Um, you know, somebody who doesn't realize they're not very good at a certain part of the sales process doesn't make them a bad salesperson. It's it's something around how do we get them good? Um, so somebody who, who really comes in and is self-aware and honest and, and brave enough to say, look, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about making cold calls. I'm a bit nervous about holding my ground in a negotiation, for example. Um, this is really great for me to see because it's somebody who's able to pinpoint their own weakness and then we can put a plan together on working on it. Um, I don't ever expect, especially at kind of junior level, be that BDR or, or, or relatively inexperienced AEs, people to be the finished article. I don't expect anyone to ever be the finished article. People are always going to have strengths and weaknesses. So awareness of one's own weaknesses or, or, or drawbacks there is absolutely key. And then perhaps the third one that I'm always looking for, and I think this is one that I find relatively rare sales leaders talk about, but I think it's really important talking to, to my managers and my team about the difference between the, the high performers and the low performers is commerciality. Um, and I recall back to my law days, the biggest criticism clients had of lawyers was that the lawyers were not commercial. They were great with the law. They knew the, the technicalities of it, but they couldn't apply it to the client's kind of commercial case. And, and the same with any kind of SaaS or, or technical product in sales. I've met a bunch of salespeople who love the product. This button does that and this feature does this. But actually, how do we translate that type of talk into the commercial pains, the commercial objectives of a client? Can you look at a prospect's website and understand, A, how do they make money? What are the headwinds and tailwinds of that industry? And be able to have that executive level conversation. It's not easy, again, to identify. And one of the things that I ask in interviews is kind of what news sites do you read? Do you go to, you know, the, 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 the back pages to look at the football? Guilty. I'm a big football fan as well. But do you spend a lot of time in the, in the business section as well? Um, you know, are you looking at things like um, TechCrunch, for instance? Are you looking at um, business stories? Because I might be selling software for any function within a business. It's always got to be provable ROI and driven back into the growth objectives of the, of the company. Sure, sure. Gr uh, great advice. And I, I think um, one of the points you touched on, we, we, we champion heavily at, at sales confidence, um, which, which is having that self-awareness and, and a level of honesty with yourself. Um, and that enables you to self-correct going forward and, 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 and you, you know, champion constant improvement. So um, we often talk about the fact that, that, that you're never the finished article at whatever stage of your career you're at. And, and there's always room for improvement and development. So Brilliant to hear you yeah. say that, and, and that's something we champion um, hugely. Um, something you touched on was um, sort of reading and, and, and gathering information and, 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 you know, being aware. And 
I wanted to sort of, it was something I had for later, but I, I want to bring it in now because I think it's quite pertinent off the back of, of, of what you've just talked about. And, and, and that's what's, what, what's the book that you've, you, you've read that's had the most impact on your sales career or, or your career in general or your personal development? Yeah, tough. Um, really tough question. I, I like reading. Um, I always try and carve out time during the week and in the mornings to read on, on the train. Um, I'm also a big reader of my competitors' blogs. I think that's probably the, the best source of knowledge that I can get. Um, but I think there are probably three books, if I may expand the question to from one to three books. Um, yeah. The first one is probably uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Um, you know, it, it talks about the difference between a good company and, and kind of a great company. And it's it's this big piece of research that's happened over 15 to 20 years, identifying companies that's significantly outperformed the stock market and, and their competitors and the why behind it. Um, the reason I like it, it's very data-driven. It's looking at the data points behind decisions that have been made and really proving that out. And you know, one of the things that I like to work, how I like to work is, is, is reliance on data. Data tells a great story. Um, you know, my my secret source, secret to my success, I hope is listening, is, is always sales ops, um, you know, having a good sales ops um, function or person is absolutely vital. So making data-driven decisions is great. And this has really helped me kind of motivate on what I should be looking for. Um, in terms of my sales career as, a, as a, an, an individual contributor, I'd say Mastering the Complex Sell by Jeff Dahl is probably the, the book that inspired me the most. Um, I've, I've been through lots of training um, all the different methodologies, all the different processes that you can do. And I always like to cherry pick which ones most suit my personality. But this one I felt really touched on something around most pertinent, I think, to what I try and teach in my sales process is, is looking for the no. Um, you know, I think when I first started in sales, it was kind of objection handling, you know, get your claws in and don't let go. And, you know, I've really kind of gone 180 on that perspective today to say, don't waste your time in somebody who's actually not a good fit. Because I'm someone not really going to be buying from you. Your, your time is your most precious commodity. Um, so always at every stage in the sales process, look for the reasons why this deal will fall apart. Look for this reason why the buyer will not be buying from you, um, either as a means of trying to get in front of them or as a means of trying to save yourself some, some time. Um, and then the third one um, that I've only read recently um, on the advice of my um, CCO is actually a book by Andrew Grove, who was a president of Intel during the 80s. It's called High Output Management. Um, and I thought, well, okay, a management book from the 80s, you know, talking about faxes and whatever, what else. Um, but actually, I found it was really, really relevant to managing today and not just managing salespeople, but managing managers. Um, things like meeting culture. I know things like meetings are often kind of seem like a dirty word. How do we get rid of meeting culture? And this really turns things like that on its head. It's not about meetings being a dirty word. It's, it's called unproductive meetings are a dirty word. And, and actually, how do you make your meetings valuable and impactful? And it's really given me a lot of ideas and advice around how to run a management layer, how to run a team of salespeople um, in a way that's efficient and always looking at uh, improving it as well. So yeah, I'd say those three books have had the most impact on me. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, I've read none of them, uh, so I've made I've made a note of each, and I'll I'll jump on Amazon after this after this podcast and, and order. Great. Thank you for sharing. Um, you, you did mention um, good to great, and and you know it's it, it sort of talks about you know what what a good organisation looks like, and then and then what a, a great organisation looks like. So um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was was. What, what was the fundamental um, DNA uh, at Paddle that, that makes it a, a special place to work? What makes Paddle great? Yeah, um, 
And I think I think it's a great way to describe Paddle. It, it is great. Um, I've worked at, at several companies. I've worked at companies where we pat ourselves on the back when we've overachieved 30% year-on-year growth. Um, if Paddle ever did 30% year-on-year growth, I know our, our, our founders would be absolutely mortified. Um, really, we are, I think one of the, 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 the big things that struck me and one of the greatest things about Paddle is the ambition. Um, our founders, Christian and Harrison, uh, if you haven't read their story on our website, I'll, I'll spare you the details now, but you know, I'd, I'd really urge you to do so. It's inspirational. They've never worked at any other job, never been to university. They left school to start Paddle um, and they've built a rocket ship. It's grown you know, three, three digit growth year on year. Um, so I think it's the ambition and the insistence on excellence that makes it great. It's also very challenging. Um, I, you know, <laughs> maintaining that level of excellence, maintaining that level of ambition is exhausting. It's not easy at all. Um, but it's, it's very, very exciting and no two days are the same. Um, I think the other part that makes it great. And I, I do kind of point back to Christian and Harrison, our founders who, who, by the way, are, you know, 13 years, my junior, um, you know, it's, it's often, something that people question me about how, how do you feel reporting into a CEO who's, you know, got far less experience to you. And, you know, it's kind of how I measure sales as well. I don't, I don't really care about experience. Um, in the same way, Meltwater took a punt on me. I didn't come from a sales background. Um, I care about traits. I care about ability. I care about um, focus and ambition. And, and these guys have it in abundance. Um, so when you meet those special people that you just got to be part of that journey of with, um, I knew I had to be part of that as well. And so far, they haven't disappointed. Um, and then I think probably the most special thing that I've seen from Paddle, and I didn't know this until I joined, but I've since realized is that Paddle are breaking the rules. Um, we're not following traditional sales, software, SaaS growth trajectories. Um, you know, be that triple, triple, double, 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 or be that, you know, plateauing after a certain time. We continuously outperform ourselves. We continuously break the models um you know and i know we've brought in a lot of training we've looked at all the different kind of um sales acceleration formula predictable revenue all, all these guys are you know brilliant places to start and we and our, our question is how do we beat this not how do we adopt this but how do we beat this we always challenge to say how do we get better and paddle isn't full of people with lots of experience and apart from myself but gray hair in the room um paddle is full of really young smart, ambitious people. Um, and the best thing that we do is we say, here's a problem. Let's get in a room. Let's throw hundreds of ideas against a whiteboard. Most of them are going to be rubbish. Um, but actually, within that rubbish, there's going to be one or two absolute gems. Um, and that's, you know, the paddle way is to really think about a problem um, and, and, and try to nail it with kind of intelligent, smart thinking and, and determination. And, and I really hope that continues. Brilliant. I mean, brilliant. It, it's un unsurprising that, um, you, you know, you mentioned that at Paddle, it's uh, it's a strive for excellence, and and obviously we touched earlier on on some of your early experiences, your career, and it, it sounds as if you, you seek that out. Um, you're looking for that challenge. You're looking for that um, that uphill battle. Um, so unsurprising to hear that, that you're in a you're in a place now where 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 they share those values with you. Um, um, for for the people that are watching, do you, do you want to give us a quick overview of uh, exactly you know what what Paddle do um, for companies? What you know, what, what does the software do? Yeah, absolutely. And perhaps always easier to explain by way of a, 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 of a use case. So sure. let's, let's say I'm a, I'm a software developer or I'm a software company. I've developed some wonderful um, a design app, for example. Um, I'm putting it online. People are coming to my website to buy a license, $50 a month. They check out via credit card. Now, 
typically today or historically, if I'm a software developer, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a payment processor so I can take that payment, um, Stripe, Braintree, PayPal, whoever it might be, Adyen. Um, what you have to then do is, is build some logic on top of that. I use a platform as well on top of that to kind of do the subscription logic, you know, charge Adam $50 every single month. And if that card fails, charge this card and send a renewal notice on this date. And if he cancels, what happens, et cetera. Um, that subscription logic, subscription management. You might need some reporting on top of that. You'll pull in a, a profit well or a, a, a bare metrics or um, whatever it might be to, to analyze your performance. Um, because your software selling globally, you are compliant or have to be compliant with every single jurisdiction, be that sales tax, be that something like GDPR. So making sure that you are calculating, remitting the right sales tax in every country you're liable for is absolutely vital. And then of course, in the world of software, in the world of e-commerce, um, fraud um, is a big part of what you, need, what you have to be careful of. So you'll typically have to build some fraud tooling out. Um, and what, what you end up with is, is quite a complex stack of solutions that you know either have to be molded together through a lot of engineering work and maintained together. They also become quite costly when you add them all up together, um, probably taking eight, 9% of each transaction um, away from you. Paddle is an out-of-the-box solution. It does all of those things in one go. So it's an e-commerce solution for, for SaaS companies, enabling them to go to market very, very quickly without the, the cost of compliance, the cost of engineering, and, and, and the headaches involved in building and maintaining a payment and, and billing stack. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you, you, you mentioned earlier, obviously, the company strives for excellence, and it's clear why maybe you're not following the traditional mold. Uh, there are huge ambitions at Paddle. Um, so just 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 keen for you to give us a quick overview of, of, of what the what the vision and, and the ambition is long term um, or short term. Yeah, well, when we say the ambition, we get people raising their eyebrows or, or laughing at us. But every every year they've last, laughed at our forecasts and we've overachieved. And we have an ambition that every single software company in the world will sell through Paddle. Now, you know, I know that's ambitious. I know that makes me sound absolutely out there. Um, but it's, it's in terms of our, our, our product market fit, we can service every single software company, especially every software company selling cross-border or selling to a variety of different types of customers. Um, so we've segmented the software market. Like I've, I've talked about our, our sales operations, our commercial operations. We've developed something called um, the Software Universe, where we've mapped out what we believe to be every single software company who's above a certain revenue generation level in the world. And we've segmented them by their target customer, by how we perceive their best way to grow is, and developing talk tracks to their CFO, CTO, and CEO about how, how our solution can benefit them. So we're really going for it. Um, of course, we're not going for it all at once. We're targeting segment by segment, but we have a plan that we can really capture a vast majority as the go-to solution for software companies in the world. Brilliant. Um, extremely ambitious, but unsurprising from you, Adam. Um, it sounds... It sounds like you've always held that level of um, of ambition. So brilliant. To, for some of our viewers um, who are who are going to be keen to um, learn from you and, and gather some of your knowledge and understand, pick your brain somewhat. Um, I'm just keen to sort of loop back to the to this, this, the sales um, conversation and and what are the sort of the best sales people that you come across? What are their what are their attributes? What you know? What do they look like? Yeah, absolutely. It's, there, there, there are three attributes that I've been able to identify of, of the best performing salespeople I've worked with across different companies. Um, the first one is, is related to that hiring question you asked me, so that commerciality. Um, can they have a commercial conversation? Do they hide behind the technical capabilities or are they really able to talk on a level to an executive 
um, be that a finance executive, uh, uh, a revenue executive, a technical executive, etc. Um, the second one is creative. And I don't think sales is, is really classed as a creative industry. Um, and when I say creative, I don't mean lying and dishonesty. Um, you know, I know sales has got that reputation. Um, I absolutely abhor lying in, in the sales process. I don't think it's smart at all. Um, but being able to look at a problem and, and an approach and say, how am I going to present the solution to this problem in a different way? How am I going to stand out from the 100 other BDR emails that this prospect has received today? Really being able to look at things through a different lens. I think this is this is something that it's very hard to develop. It's one of those things that, you know, is an innate, an innate, innate skill, sorry. Um, but it's it's really, I think, something that sets salespeople apart. Um, so, you know, people might go after a prospect, they'll get a demo and they'll run it, they'll put a deck together based on a template they've done from a previous one. But it's those salespeople who say, how is this different? Who is this person that I'm talking to? What can I find out about them? What is the best way to communicate and and, um, and show them that we are the right solution there? So creativity, I, I really love that in salespeople. Um, and then the last one is collaborative. And again, I think this is again tied to that self-awareness piece we were talking about earlier. Um, but especially in more complex sales, especially in, um, where you are reliant on perhaps um, solution consultants, sales engineers, um, solution architects, whatever it might be, account management executives. For me, being able to sell collaboratively and being able to ask for help is, is, a, is a sign of strength, not weakness. And I think too often it's perceived by sales reps as a sign of weakness. I've seen too many sales reps say, I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to take this whole deal from start to finish on my own. And I'm going to go to my VP and show them a signed contract and I'll be the hero. And, and for me, that's not impressive. For me, that's a big risk. And, and you know, that person got lucky. Um, the people, and I don't like to use too many kind of American terms. I, I like have deliberately tried to work for UK-based companies. But, you know, I, I always use the Americanism of, of, of the AE or the sales rep being the quarterback. It's not the quarterback who scores the touchdowns. It's not the quarterback who, you know, dives for the ball and, and scores that, you know, that those points. The quarterback's the one calling the plays. They're realizing who is the best person to say this solution or this ask this question at any given time. And that kind of peripheral vision, that ability to pull in the relevant stakeholders at any given time is a really important skill, especially as you get more into kind of mid-market and enterprise type sales. So that ability to collaborate, to share knowledge, to work with people and to motivate people together, um, not only makes you a great salesperson, but also makes you a great candidate for management as well in the future. Brilliant, and I, I, I couldn't agree more, but thank you for sharing that, um, Adam. Um, I guess um, you, you mentioned early um, in your point about, uh, you know, there's a perception within sales and, and, and it's carrying it with it, uh, but, you, you sort of touched on that might be changing. What, what, what do you think the sort of the future of sales looks like? And, uh, you know, where, where, where do you think we're going? You're asking this question at a time with probably the highest uncertainty where I don't even know what this evening is going to look like. Yeah. Um, I think in general, however, you know, th things will get back to, to normal um, at some point. I think clearly there's been a, a massive um, push in automation um, sales tooling, sales enablement uh, over the past couple of years, from my perspective. I mean, our, our sales tech stack is, you know, names that five years ago you'd have said to me, I'd have had no idea what they what they are, let alone what they even do. Um, and I think this level of tooling, of course, um, not necessarily replaces a human element, but gives us an added advantage, an added dimension to our coaching, to our um, decision making that we didn't have beforehand. So I think what sales is going to become is a lot more efficient. Um, I think it's going to become a lot more focused on data. 
Um, and I think people are going to really be aware of where their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, I do want to emphasize that whilst there has been a surge in tooling and, and, and sales tech, um, I'm still a believer and call me old fashioned, but you can never ever replace authentic relationships. And I think that's still the, the, the absolute keystone to sales. Um, today, I still talk to prospects that I sold to when I started my sales career 12, 13 years ago, not because I've got something to sell to them, um, but because we built a relationship. You know, we had kids at the same time. We support rival football teams. We both have a passion for travel, whatever it might be, that I'm concerned about their health in this environment. And I think this is something that salespeople often overlook, um, especially salespeople who don't necessarily uh, stay involved once the contract's signed and it goes over to account management or success. But really, um, I found it perhaps somewhat selfishly at the beginning. I could learn from every single person that I'm talking to, especially executives. They can help me in terms of develop my own um savviness my, my career but also realizing these are people behind everything people with their own hopes ambitions dreams and fears uh, and being able to tap into that and have real empathy hopefully has made me a better manager and, and a salesperson as well um, and i really believe that that's never going to be replaced um, and that however much tech you put in front of it people still buy people again excuse the cliche um, and being able to show that level of authenticity um, and empathy is, is absolutely vital Thank you for sharing. I, I, again, I couldn't agree more. Um, sales confidence, authenticity is is, is something we uh, we talk about a lot with our sales team. Um, so I, I think you know we, we couldn't agree more, and we're singing from the same hymn sheet there. Um, with, with, with that in mind, um, what advice would you, would you give to a to a sales professional who's who's looking for a long term career in sales, considering everything we, we we've discussed today? Yeah, I think um, based on kind of, you know, the, the experiences that I've had, the people I've interviewed, the, the failures that I've seen, both personally and, and people that I've hired, I think the first part is, is about honesty. Um, you know, be honest with yourself, be honest with your manager, be honest with your, um, you know, the person interviewing you. I think it's really important. And I know I've been in job interviews myself. I talk about my startup that failed. I remember you know, I'm having to go back to work. I had two kids and a mortgage and I, I needed a job. Um, and at the time I was thinking, I'll take anything. I just need to be paid. And, and you know, I was in a, a very, very difficult position. I think, you know, there are positions like that where, where you find yourself having to take any job. But if you are in a luxurious position of being able to choose your job, you know, really test the 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 interviewer, really test the the management of that business to say, are you going to get what you need? And this comes back to your self-awareness. Where am I weaker? Where do I need areas of investment in? Am I going to get that investment? Are people going to back me to say, yeah, we're going to improve them to that level? Or are they bringing me in expecting me to be someone I'm not? So that level of honesty is absolutely vital to set expectations, to kind of litmus test, are you going to get the resource investment and development you need? And to figure out if this is not a fit for you, it's better to figure that out sooner rather than later, both for you and for the company. Because I, th I think, you know, if you hire a candidate three months into the role, they realize, hey, this, this wasn't for me. Um, either I was misled or I misunderstood or I, I misrepresented myself, you're going to leave, the company's going to go back to hiring from scratch. And, and you know, you've both lost three months and perhaps a bit of money along the way. So that level of honesty, as challenging as it is, I'd always implore people to adopt it. Wonderful. And, and um, thank you. That's, that's, 
interesting. It's something that I think um, I would have benefited having that conversation early in my in, in my career with someone like you, Adam, um, in terms of understanding that it, it is a two way street and, and, and you're investing as well as the company. Um, you know, typically, if you're going to be spending three, five, ten years within a role, that's a, a huge investment of your professional life um, and your resources. So. Um, it's something that I wish had been articulated to me earlier in my career. So thank you for sharing. No worries. Um, a, a, a last point, and, and, and one that we've been having a discussion with a, a number of um, a number of salespeople recently that um, maybe may, maybe aren't grasping the difference in, in in these terms. But for you, what is the difference between sales and 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 revenue? Yeah. It's a really interesting question, uh, and actually one that I've not been asked before, but I thankfully I had a chance to think about this beforehand. And, and the way I, I perceive the difference is as follows. Sales is a function, or it's an activity. Um, it, it's a cost, right? Sales is actually something that you're saying, we are incurring this cost as a business in order to generate revenue. So sales should, in theory, lead to revenue. Um, and of course, you know, you can't do revenue, but you can do sales. And I think there's a big difference there, right? Um, you know, there's people talk about good revenue, bad revenue, recurring revenue, one-time revenue, et cetera. Revenue is relatively static in terms of what it is, but it is an indicator of how successful you've been at sales as well. So I think sales is really, really important to understand it as an activity, as something that you can improve on doing so, but it'll also, if you do it badly, it's, it's an incurrence of cost to the business and the people who are employing you to do so. Thank you, thank you, really insightful. Um, well, Adam, thank you. I'm, I'm mindful of time. Um, we've been on for uh, about an hour now. Um, but thank you very much. Uh, to all of our viewers, I would, uh, I'd advise you to follow Adam on social media or, or LinkedIn or any platform you can find him. It's Adam Kane. He, he's, as, as we discussed, he's the VP of Sales at Paddle. Um, thank you so much for coming on today, um, Adam, and sharing your knowledge, expertise, and insight uh, from throughout your career. Um, I'm sure it'll be really helpful to our to, to our viewers and our community. Um, thank you guys for tuning into Sales Confidence. Um, we look forward to seeing you uh, on next podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for the time. Take Bye -bye. care. Bye bye.